we finished our series on why we use the King James. I'm hoping to get that series organized on our YouTube channel so that if the question ever comes up, you can just point people to that. And they can just knock it out. I don't have to keep doing that series every six years. Amen? Not that I'm opposed to doing that. So back in September, I put our series through the book of Acts on hold. I want to return there tonight. We may still pause this series from time to time as the Lord leads. But because of where we're at in our Wednesday night series through the book of Daniel, it's no coincidence that we're picking back up right where we need to pick up to have it apply to our Wednesday night series. I can't plan these things, okay? This is all the Lord's doing. So um, it's not a coincidence for sure. Acts chapter 8, please. Acts chapter 8. Well, because it's been five months, I want to give you a little bit of a longer recap here just to give you a reminder of where we're at contextually at this point in time. And the book of Acts opens after the resurrection of our Lord just before he ascends. And he instructs his followers to tarry in Jerusalem, wait for the promise of the Holy Ghost. Acts 1.8, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And after those words, our Lord ascended back to heaven. And as the Holy Ghost came upon them, long story short, as the Holy Ghost came upon them, we saw how the church in Jerusalem exploded in numbers. And by the thousands, people were being saved and added to the church because they were preaching Christ. And through the power of the Spirit and the faithful preaching of Christ, in a very short period of time, they saw miraculous uh, increase. But remember, wherever God is at work, our enemy is at work as well. And their enemy showed up through the council. That's the religious leaders of their day. Some of you may know the term the Sanhedrin. Same, same. And so that's the enemy that they primarily had. They hated the message of Christ. They arrested Peter and John while they were preaching at the temple. And Peter and John were brought before the council. Well, they were arrested for preaching Christ. They started preaching Christ to the council. Whoop! If you get arrested for preaching Christ here, just preach Christ before the judge. Somebody say amen right there. And so they're preaching Christ still, even before the council. Well, council didn't like that, so they threatened them. Don't speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. They said, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. In chapter 5, God was working mightily again through the apostles. They didn't like that, so guess what? They arrested the apostles. And they brought the apostles before the council, and guess what the apostles did? Preached Christ to the council. <laughs> oh, I forgot to mention this. They arrested them, and then the angel of the Lord opened a prison to set them loose. And the next day when they went to bring them for the council, they couldn't find them. <laughs> That's good stuff. They finally find them, and then they go, we better take them a little more carefully this time. And so they brought them without force that time. Set them before the council. They preached Christ to them. And so, anyway, what was interesting about that angel of the Lord, he said, uh, go back to the temple and preach all the words of this life. And, and they did. They were obedient. And so, anyway, 
they answered this, because the council had said, Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you fill Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And they answered, we ought, to, we ought to obey God rather than men. And they preached Christ. Well, this time they beat him. They only threatened him the first time. This time they beat him for preaching Christ. And they commanded them yet again that they should not speak in the name of Jesus. And they released them. Guess what happened next? After they were told, don't do that. In Acts 5.42 we read, And daily in the temple and in every house they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. <laughs> then in chapter 6, after there was some internal issues, they, they got ironed out. Stephen comes on the scene full of faith and power, doing great wonders and miracles among the people. And this time it wasn't the council at first, it was certain of the synagogues. And they didn't like what Stephen had to say, and they started to dispute with him. I like it when that happens. You know what I'm saying? Because if you know your Bible, it's easy to win any argument. We're not arguing, okay? We're just debating. (laughs) Loosen up, everybody. Amen. It's okay. It's Sunday night. We're a family. And so they ended up arresting Stephen, the council did, after this dispute with the synagogue, people from the synagogue, because they said... This man blaspheme, let's see, he blasphemes words against this holy place and the law. Well, he goes before the council. The council says, what do you got to say for yourself? <laughs> My version. And he preaches Christ to him, Like, very pointedly. Like it would make a lot of people uncomfortable. And he preached Christ. And he, he, didn't, he didn't mince words. And they were so... Upset at that, they gnashed on him with their teeth, the Bible says. They were cut to the heart. They cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears and they ran upon him with one accord. And that's important, one accord. They were all together on this. They cast him out of the city and stoned him to death. And if you remember that death, there were some things that were eerily similar to that in Jesus' death which also I think is significant. In my opinion, what happened in chapter 7, it was the turning point as it related to the nation of Israel. I believe that's Israel's, uh, their fate was sealed at that point. The council had rejected the message for the last time. In fact, we'll not see again where the council gets another clear presentation of the Word of God. I believe it finished the transgression or we're very near it right here, of Daniel 9.24 that we've been talking about on Wednesday night. Jesus said, I'll give you one sign, the sign of my resurrection. They didn't believe the resurrection. They didn't believe all the signs that pointed to the resurrection. And Jesus was long-suffering with them after His resurrection. And then He was merciful to them as they repeatedly, they being the council, as they repeatedly heard the message of Christ. And then God symbolically shook the dust off His feet. This brings us to chapter 8. And at this point forward, we're going to see the gospel go primarily... Let me word it this way. The gospel will be primarily received by the Gentiles. Now, let's back up. Let's begin in verse 57 of chapter 7, but we'll read through chapter 8 and verse 4 just to get a little more context here. 
Stephen has preached. We read in verse 57, Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when, they, and when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to uh, hauling men. What's the word there in my eyes? How do you say that? Hailing. Men and women committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. And so we'll just, this is kind of disjointed, but we'll start with Stephen. He was a faithful servant of God. Amen. He exalted Christ in his life. He exalted Christ in his death. As powerful as his message was in life, his message at death may have been even more powerful, which has often been proven the case with God's martyrs down through the centuries. In verse 2, we see devout men carried Stephen to his burial. And they made great lamentation over him, and I would say understandably so, an innocent man has just been killed. I'm not going to weary you with all the details on who the devout men may or may not be and all that junk. If you want to study it, be my guest. I will mention Psalm 116, verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. That word precious, it means valuable. And certainly Stephen's death is going to be proven valuable in God's sight. And it may be hard to understand why God would allow His faithful servants to suffer. But He's got a purpose. We are introduced now to a man named Saul. It's possible he was in the group of chapter 6 of those men from the synagogues because it mentions those from Cilicia. And that's where Saul was from. But this is when he is first mentioned by name here at the end of chapter 7. For those who may not know, Saul will later become the Apostle Paul. Now, by the witnesses laying down their clothes at the feet of Saul, it's telling us that Saul was one of the leaders in Stephen's death. And, of course, chapter 8 opens with, and Saul was consenting unto his death. You know what that means? Saul gave his approval with pleasure. He was pleased with the death of Stephen. Saul, who would become the Apostle Paul. He was pleased with the death of a Christian. Now, who was Saul? We're told in chapter 7, verse 58, he was a young man, which probably means he was below the age of 40, but above the age of 20. Most feel he was in his 30s at this point. And what else do we know about Saul from the Bible? Here's some verses, and these are in his own words. Acts 22.3 says, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous towards God. In Acts 26, verses 4 and 5, he says, My manner of life from my youth, which was at the first among mine own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews, which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify, that after the most straightest sect of our religion... 
I lived a Pharisee. Philippians 3, 5, and 6, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin and Hebrew of the Hebrews as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Saul was a good independent Baptist kid. This isn't even in my notes. I don't know who it's for. He went to the right church. He had the right preaching. He had the right upbringing. He had everything right. And yet all of this doesn't mean a thing before God. Paul, Saul was on his way to hell. He was born in Cilicia, which was likely a result of the Old Testament dispersion. He was born a Hebrew of the stock of Israel. 2 Corinthians 11.22, he says he's of the seed of Abraham. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, and as a Benjamite, because the tribe of Benjamin had been under the house of Judah, he can be called a Jew. He was, he was circumcised the eighth day as required by the law. Though born in Cilicia, he was brought up in Jerusalem, and he was instructed from his youth up by one of the most revered rabbis of their day, and still one of the most revered in all of Jewish history. He was a Pharisee, which meant he observed a strict adherence to the law and their oral traditions, and he considered himself blameless in the, in the law. In other words, Saul checked all the right boxes. If there was a resume, he, he had it. He had the pedigree. He had the finest education. He possessed the zeal. He was a rising star in Judaism, especially in the sect called the Pharisees. So much so that the chief priests gave him letters of authority to arrest the followers of Christ to be punished. Acts 22, verses 4 and 5, And I persecuted this way unto death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest does bear me witness and all the estate of the elders, for whom also I received letters unto the brethren and went to Damascus to bring them which uh, were there bound unto Jerusalem for to be punished. Acts 26, 9 through 11, I verily thought within myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received the authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them, and I punished them oft in every synagogue, and compelled them to blaspheme, and being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even under strange cities. Notice verse 3 of our text. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Saul's intent was to destroy Christians. He wanted to destroy the church and lay it waste and eradicate it from Israel and all of Judaism. He looked for their meeting places. He would be at 1515 Space Avenue looking for an opportunity to arrest believers. He would find those who were believing in Christ and He would haul them off to prison, both men and women, with no concern for the welfare of the weaker vessel. And he was able to do so by the authority of the chief priest. He entered homes. 
He was unusually cruel. He caused many to blaspheme, the Bible says. In other words, he got believers to say, I don't know who that is. I don't follow Christ. Yes, I agree, he was a deceiver. This guy was, you did not want to run into him. It delighted him to testify against believers to put them to death. That's the reality for the church in Jerusalem in the first century. That's what they were going through. Now what's our excuse? What's our excuse for not serving God? What's our excuse? If you think you have it bad, just consider what they were going through. We've never been under this kind of persecution in America. What's the worst that's going to happen to us? You can ask these in our church who regularly go door knocking and they'll tell you. You might get a door slammed in your face. You might get yelled at. You might get cussed out. Well, Gary Dawson got hit with a flip-flop. I wonder if it was like a shower shoe flip-flop or like a stiffer flip-flop. Because I think it was a dude, amen. And I wear flip-flops, I'm just saying. I'd much rather wear flip-flops, actually. About the worst we've ever experienced is having the cops called on us. But to my knowledge, none of us have been arrested. Is it going to get worse in America? According to the Bible, it should. In many respects, it already has. I wouldn't be surprised if we see things wax worse in my lifetime. But listen, we still have it very good, my friends. We're still free. Nobody's checking identities at the door. There's no authorities roaming the streets trying to see who's worshiping God tonight. Don't worry about tomorrow anyway. Jesus said, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So what are you doing today? We can still freely give the gospel and we ought to take advantage of that. If this is all the so-called persecution that we face, what is our excuse for not trying to reach the lost? Are we just apathetic? Do we not care for the souls of men? Do we not believe hell awaits those who won't receive Christ? All we have experienced in America is a minor form of persecution. And I'm not making light of that. I know it hurts. It's no fun to have a door slammed in your face to be cussed out and all these things. Or be hit with a flip-flop, Brother Dawson. But I am telling you, these early believers were really going through it. Notice in verse 1 again, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. They weren't just under persecution, they were under great persecution. Dare I say, great tribulation. Which was really a compliment to them. Because 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. They must have been living godly. So ask yourself this. Am I living godly enough to suffer persecution for my Lord? Maybe you are and you just happen to be in an environment where you're not persecuted for it. But have you ever suffered for Christ? Have you taken up your cross to follow Him? That's what He said to do. 
a cross is not a good thing to pick up and to have to carry. It means you're going to die. Amen. Do you bear his reproach? Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not suggesting we're to go out there and just stir up trouble just so we can demonstrate how godly we think we are. That's not what I'm saying at all. We need to obey the laws, and I don't want any from this church going out there and purposefully just stirring up trouble. We're to be Christ-like in our witnessing. But are you bothering the devil enough that he wants to shut you up? He wants to stop you from preaching the gospel to the lost? I love Acts chapter 19, verse 15. It says, And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? That's a pretty humbling thought. Do the evil spirits know you because you're fighting the good fight of faith? Who are ye? Now, Jesus warned His disciples that people like Saul were on the way that his followers would face persecution and even be killed for their faith. John 15, 20, Jesus said, Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. John 16, 2, They shall put you out of the synagogues, yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. That's Saul. He believed in his heart at this time he was doing God's service. Jesus also said in Matthew 10, 23, but when they persecute you in this city, flee into another. And look at the end of verse 1. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. So what was God up to? Well, we need to be reminded of Acts 1, 8 again. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. You see, God did not want the gospel to stay in Jerusalem. He wanted it to go forth and spread throughout the whole earth. But before Stephen's death, the gospel was being confined to Jerusalem. And evidently, they had lost sight of the great commission that Jesus gave them before He ascended. In Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, it says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. God wanted them to go forth. I remember Pastor Ed Decker used to say, you can't even spell the gospel without go. And so because they were not doing as God had instructed them, God sent them persecution in order to scatter them abroad into the regions of Judea and Samaria, the exact places that God told them to go in the first place. Now I don't know about you, but I don't desire persecution. Like that's not on my to-do list when I wake up. Amen. Read Bible. Give a kiss to Adrian. Amen. Uh, Bible first. And because uh, <laughs> she got to brush them teeth. Amen. And then perse- get persecuted today. That's not on my to do list. However, we need to understand how God uses persecution to further his purposes. 
In one way or another, He's going to do that. So we should not back down in the face of opposition. 1 Peter 3, 14 and 15, But and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, or blessed are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And as I have preached earlier in this book, the presence of persecution does not mean an absence of God's blessing. Persecution does not mean that somehow you're out of God's will. If anything, it might mean you're hitting the mark. I don't mind upsetting the devil one bit. Come on, let's get excited. We're talking about our enemy. We're talking about the one who tried to overthrow God. I don't mind to upset him one bit. In fact, I pray our church will continue to upset the spiritual enemy by giving the gospel. When we have the cops called on us, I know we're on target. When I get a nasty phone call or email, we're on target. (laughs) We're on target a lot. When we're told we can't come back to an area, we're on target. Hey, even if nothing happens, as so long as we're giving the gospel, we're on target. That's the heartbeat of God. Now, just go ahead and forget all this stuff about having your best life now. No. You know this prosperity gospel stuff? If you'll just live for God, everything's going to work out and you'll have smooth sailing. That's a lie. We'll see later in Acts 14.22 how they were confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. I thought we were supposed to escape tribulation. Yeah, I'm getting a little snarky. Through much tribulation we're going to enter the kingdom of God. 1 Thessalonians 3.3-4 That no man should be moved by these afflictions... For yourselves know that ye were appointed thereunto. For verily when we were with you, we told you before that ye should suffer tribulation even as it came to pass and ye know. Paul said it was appointed. Afflictions are appointed unto us. Peter said, don't think it's strange the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened unto you. So the church in Jerusalem was experiencing persecutions, tribulations, and trials, and afflictions, all these things. But notice the result now in verse 4. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the Word. And in this sense, Stephen's death was valuable in God's sight. It was precious. Philippians 1.12, But I would ye understand, brethren, that the things which have happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. I doubt that Paul really enjoyed being locked up or literally bearing in his body the marks of the Lord Jesus. And yet he says it was for the furtherance of the gospel. I don't think the early church enjoyed the persecution. I don't think Stephen enjoyed being stoned. And yet it was for the furtherance of the gospel. Do you see how a church can just get out of balance? 
and we stop realizing what the main thing is, and we stop focusing on giving out the gospel, and we just try to put on a good church service. We know how to put on a church service. We can become very mechanical, and we can make it look good. Don't miss the heart of God. God took the stoning of Stephen and their persecutions. He used it to further the gospel on the earth. They went everywhere preaching the job, and that is our primary job. I'm thankful for our Sunday school classes. I'm thankful for our bus ministry. I'm thankful for our nursing home and jail ministry. I'm thankful for our academy and our press. But if we do not fulfill these ministries with souls in mind, we are missing the mark. Because it's all about Him and His Word. It's all about souls being saved. When's the last time you witnessed to somebody? Hey, we make it as easy as we can around here. We've got cards you can take and just hand to somebody. Or you can just like hide them somewhere and they'll find them. You know, if you're chicken. It's okay, we all start at different levels. When I taught down in Mississippi, we had, I don't know, bunch of people, and I'd go stick one under every keyboard in the building. Brooks! Hey, it's my ride, brother. You tell me it ain't. You have more rights than you think you do. Well, this is going over well. (laughs) Understand that the enemy thought they were stamping out Christianity, but all they were doing was causing it to be spread further. (laughs) This is so great. They were actually helping to fulfill the purposes of God and they didn't even know it. That's how dumb the enemy is. Is everybody good? Our God is so far ahead, the enemy. I I don't understand. We we get so concerned. You know what Isaiah says? We're going to narrowly look upon Him and say, is this the one that made the nations to tremble? Isn't that what it says? Something like that. What are you so fearful for? If God be for you, who can be against you? Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. We are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. What are we worried about? What the enemy intended for evil, God meant it for good. Do you know God knows how to confound the enemy? Over there in Psalm chapter 2, or Psalm 2, it says, He that sitteth in the heavens will laugh. He's going to have them in derision. You think you're so smart, enemy. Ha ha. We also see how persecution, listen now, it did not cause this church to stop, but it caused them to go further. They did not go into hiding out of fear, but they went forth openly and boldly preaching Christ. And so a church in action will keep going forward in obedience to the Great Commission, no matter the opposition. We may need to shift here and there. That's understandable. But all we have to do is remain faithful to what God has called us to do and then trust Him with all the rest. It's not up to us to bring the harvest. We are commanded to plant and to water. He takes care of the increase. And in a matter of speaking, this body of believers is scattered as well though it's not from persecution. I'm just making application. We gather as a church body, but we go to various places of employment throughout the week. 
We go to various places as we fulfill our roles and responsibilities and and go through activities and all these things. And my point is, all of us here are able to reach people that the rest of us may never come into contact with. I won't necessarily come into contact with your employees. I'm working on Tyler. He's almost saved. (laughs) Mary's praying for him. (laughs) Pastor DeGarmo, God help him. My point is, I cannot reach everybody. Amen? You cannot reach everybody. But you all can reach somebody. And all of you have been placed where you're at because God has put you there to be the voice of reason, to be the gospel voice, the gospel light. And you're there to shine as lights in the midst of a perverse and crooked nation. We must be active in preaching the Word everywhere we are found. I pray our church will be faithful as we're scattered about. And if you're not involved in some way in getting the gospel out here, I encourage you to get active in God's program. We have many ways you can get involved. We have corporate soul winning opportunities. You can go door to door every Sunday, every Saturday. Amen. We do once a month Saturation Saturdays. You can show up on the first Saturday of March and we'll give you some packets and you can take a map and go hang those on doors. We have ministries where you can serve in our church regardless of the season of your life because some of you, I get it, you can't do what you used to do. It's okay. You're in a different season of life. But God can still use you. Owls, if you can't do what you used to do, consider going to the press if you can do that. Amen. What is greater than assembling the Word of God? Good night. You say, well, I can't even do that. You can do the greatest thing of all, and that's pray. We could use some prayer warriors. All of us can get to work. They went forward. They were in the midst of great persecution. But they stayed with it. They stayed faithful to God. They were reaching people. And it wasn't because they were something great. They were just faithful. That's all we need to be. God's given us a commission. We, we are the footprint in the Black Hills area. At least this area, Rapid City area. What impact are we making? I've been here for eight years and I don't know, we still got some empty seats. What impact are we making? Who have you brought into this church? Are you witnessing? Well, let's pray and you can respond if needed.